The contents of the lab report meant for educational purposes only. They're not meant to be misconstrued as medical diagnosis or treatment advice. Today on the lab report, we are going to talk coffee. Is it good for you? Is it bad for you? Does Michael drink too much of it? Speaking of, I'll be right back. The world of medicine can be challenging. Clinicians and patients are always looking for more options, more effective treatments, and in the end, more answers. Functional and integrative medicine focuses on addressing root causes of disease. Here at Genova Diagnostics, we've watched this field evolve and grow for over 35 years. We've not only adapted, we've led. Join us as we talk about functional medicine, laboratory testing, and optimizing health. Welcome to the Lab Report. So, quick question. Yeah. All this study around body language. Yes. What is the motivation? Mind control. I knew it. <laughs> Hello. Hey, Michael Chapman. Hi, Patty Devers. How are you doing today? I am living my best life. How are you doing? Crushing it. Cool. Look <laughs> at you. <laughs> I'm not, though. Oh. Anyway, uh, welcome to this podcast. It's called The Lab Report. It's brought to you on behalf of Genova Diagnostics. Thank you, Genova. And... It's where we talk about things like specialty lab testing, integrative therapeutics, functional and precision medicine, and uh, various other things, too. Yeah. We, we collectively call the other things stuff. <laughs> and if you like that stuff, maybe get yourself a cup of coffee, Ooh. listen to the show, then go to iTunes or Spotify if you happen to like it. Maybe subscribe, rate, review, likey, subscribey stuff. The more coffee you drink, the more platforms you're going to go to to subscribe. <laughs> right. So Start smashing have buttons. at it. That's right. And if you're still jazzed up from all that smashing, uh, you can, and you have feedback. Yeah. Like, why did I drink so much coffee? <laughs> uh, you can send that feedback to podcast at gdx.net. Yeah. That's our email address. That's right. That's right. And, and I will say, I have become obsessed with the behavioral arts. Yeah. Like yeah. Reading body language and right. micro expressions and how people move in the world. I'm obsessed with this. Yeah, I know. We just had a, like a 30 minute conversation <laughs> on it. Yeah. Um, it, and it's interesting. It's fascinating. Uh, I think it's probably fodder for a podcast at some point Ooh. just because it, it sort of connects. And I think yes. people would find it super interesting. Yes. And I have lists of people to reach out to experts that I love. And yeah, I'm going to get that going. What's my body language saying right now? You want to talk about coffee? Wow, that is impressive. See? That's cool. I'm good at this. Um, so let's talk about coffee. Yeah. And um, you know, it's funny because you said, didn't we already do an episode I know. Coffee? I know. But I could have swore. Because it's such an important part of our lives. Right? Um, How did we miss it? Exactly. So, you know, one of the things right off the top when I think about coffee, I, I actually did a blog like forever ago. I think it's the Where? one and only blog that I've ever actually completed. On what? Where'd on my old blog? website oh. uh, for the private practice. I see. And, I see. Um, because basically, you, you can't get a straight answer on whether coffee is good or bad for you. Right. Um, and, you know, spoiler alert, like, it's kind of complicated. <laughs> well, I think the, the problem is when people talk about coffee, they're focused on caffeine, when in fact, mm. there's so much more to the beverage than just caffeine. And I think that's where all the confusion comes in. Yeah. And we also think about not just the coffee itself, but then what else are we putting in the coffee right. to make it more palatable, so true. Uh, cut down the bitterness. True. Um, and there's even some aspects that hint at like Ayurvedic medicine mm -hmm. that I think are fascinating around it too. Um, so this will be good. Where, where do you think we should start? Should we start with, I know at some point we're going to get into all the all the nitty gritties of what's in coffee and that sort of thing, but um, is there just one type of coffee? 
Because, I mean, like with tea, you've got green tea, you've got black uh, tea. And even with coffee, yeah. you know, you've got like Colombian coffee and morning Correct. roast and blah, blah, blah. Like all the different varieties. I mean, how many different coffees out there? There's got to be a like lot. a million. There's a lot. So what's the difference between these coffees? Colombian versus Honduran. I mean, the I'm country a, I'm where <laughs> the beans are I could have gotten that. <laughs> but like, how is the flavor profile different? Is it in the roasting? Is it in, what is it? Well, if you're talking just about flavor, uh-huh. it comes down to the beans. Though, when we're talking about health benefits, the differences with coffee are whether it's filtered and, again, what you're putting in it, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. But mm-hmm. we're talking about flavor. It comes down to the coffee bean. Right. And there are four main types of beans, namely Arabica, Robusta, Excelsa, and Liberica, which, hmm. right? And those give different flavors, and they're grown in different parts of the world. Kind of like wine, where yeah, it's like you've got your yeah, main kind of yeah. grapes, but then depending on, you know, the growing conditions and all that sort of stuff, it adds nuance to the different flavor of the beans. That's totally And they true. can vary in their level of caffeine, their acidity. Um, so not only are they just different from a flavor perspective, I'm sure from a constituent perspective, mm-hmm. they also have some minor uh, differences, but probably they have more overlap than they probably have differences as far as, you know, caffeine and, yeah. and acidity and all the other constituents that we often associate with being antioxidant as it relates to to coffee. You know, the other thing that occurs to me Mm. is that because these coffee beans are grown in all different parts of the world, all over the earth, there is different soil in different countries with different micronutrients. I wonder how much that plays into the nutritional content and health benefits. I'm sure it has an effect. I'm sure it absolutely has an effect, both on the what's uh, the chemical constituents inside the coffee bean as well as what the flavor is. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Okay, so if we're going to talk about the health benefits or potential risks of drinking coffee, Mm -hmm. we should really talk about the things that are in coffee because there's a lot of stuff in coffee. There is. But what most people associate with coffee or when you think of coffee, the first thing you think of is caffeine. Right. I mean, it makes one wonder how much coffee we'd be consuming if caffeine wasn't in it. <laughs> like, would it have like, become a thing or would have people just been like, eh, this is like a bitter brown water, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yes. Um, yes. Because let's face it, caffeine is what we're going for here. Mm. Um, and so caffeine is kind of interesting. It, it makes me think like, what, what, how does it do its magic? Right. Um, and, you know, get me out of bed in the morning, right. which is magical. Mm-hmm. So, What caffeine does is it acts in the central nervous system. And what it does is it actually is an antagonist to the adenosine receptor. Okay. Hmm, So in your brain, you've got these adenosine receptors. uh, And adenosine receptors are essentially neuromodulatory. And they mostly do inhibiting effects. Wow. Um, They kind of slow down central nervous system. So what caffeine does is it goes in and it blocks the receptor. So it says, hey, adenosine, you're not going to slow me down anymore. (laughs) Uh, and then bada boom, bada bing, you've got your central nervous system stimulation, which is what we associate with um, acute elevation in blood pressure, metabolic rate, um, also increases how much uh, we're doing diuresis or how much we're peeing, basically. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, di- diuretting ourselves, diureticing. <laughs> diuresing? <laughs> diuresing. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's that's basically what it does. And, of course, you know, it's got the neuroactive sort right. of excitatory components to it as well, which is what the end of the day. <laughs> what you're need, what you need you it for. <laughs> okay, well, if we're talking about caffeine mm-hmm. and causing jitter, jitters and high Why heart are you looking rate and <laughs> sweating, how much caffeine are we talking? Like, I know it can vary, and there's decaffeinated coffee, but yeah, in yeah. general, yeah. how much caffeine is in a cup of coffee? Yeah, as you said, it can vary. Um, and actually, it can even vary with like day to day, like how long what? it's been sitting on the shelves. But oh. um, 
on average, a standard cup of coffee, eight ounces, mm-hmm. is roughly around 100 milligrams of caffeine. Okay. Um, and it can be all the way as low as like 70s um, or up mm-hmm. to 130s. Uh, and then there's also a whole bunch of coffees out there that are intentionally high caffeine coffees. Uh-huh. Uh, so those exist. But, you know, comparatively, 100 milligrams is quite a bit, actually. When you look at that compared to tea, okay. uh, it's about double the amount of tea. Black tea is around 50 milligrams of caffeine. Green okay. tea is around 28 milligrams of mm. caffeine. Um, and then cola or soda um, that is usually around 22 milligrams. So That's it's a, not a lot. It's not a lot. It's no. not a lot. And it's actually coffee is generally higher in caffeine than like the energy drinks that you would buy. Those tend really? to be in the 70s. So really? people th- are like buying all these monster drinks and stuff like that, thinking like, oh, I'm, I'm totally getting all my caffeine. But um, coffee actually is going to have more caffeine per That's serving than, than those drinks. All right. But then isn't there coffees specifically like espresso or some of those coffees that are roasted how high of a caffeine content are we talking about with those well keep in mind so like with a monster drinker a lot of those energy drinks they tend to be like double the serving size they tend oh, to be that's like fair. That's 16 fair. ounces so True. it's really like drinking two cups of coffee All right. um but like i said <laughs> some of these other ones are pretty wild oh, where they're what? like coffees yeah well okay. at the very top of the list i have here is one called black label brewed coffee. <laughs> I'm scared. <laughs> you should be because with 12 ounces, it's 1,555 oh, milligrams of caffeine. So oh, come on. Um, and there's a ton of these. There's like biohazard coffee, <laughs> death wish coffee. Um, so this is certainly a market in and of itself. These? I don't awesome. know, but they're, they're great. They're totally like, great. It reminds me of like the hot sauces. Adrenaline shock. <laughs> I don't know if that's a coffee or something else, but I just, I could stare at these names all day long. Let's not. So one might think that with that degree of caffeine intake, right. um, you could run into some problems. Like there's somewhere in the back of like, I think all of our heads is like, that's probably not good for me. Right. But what are some of the problems associated with, you know, really high caffeine consumption or long-term caffeine consumption? Well, in my mind, it's likely dose dependent, right? Yeah. So at normal doses, not like black death coffee that you're right. talking about, the, you know, the things you always think about, anxiousness, you know, you can't sleep, you're jittery, your heart rate goes up. Mm-hmm. But then what about black, like black label? <laughs> like if you're drinking black label... What are some of the more serious things that can happen? Well, let's, I mean, we haven't done a study of black label coffee. So let's just talk about caffeine in general. And high doses of caffeine um, can contribute to, uh, you know, more serious conditions and especially high doses at long term use. So, um, you know, first and foremost, we think of like heart irregularities, irregular heartbeat and other heart potential heart worsening of heart conditions, mm-hmm. worsening of uh, diabetes, perhaps osteoporosis, actually, because caffeine can increase the amount of calcium that's essentially urinated out. Oh, that's interesting. Um, we talk here about other things like maybe worsening of, of epilepsy is, is possible. Uh, and the last thing on the list that I, I think is been studied quite heavily is worsening mood disorders, right. Um, right. including things like anxiety, which makes sense, mm-hmm. bipolar, uh, and even schizophrenia or psychosis. So, right. um, you know, it, those are all things to, to keep on the radar, uh, especially if you're dealing with a patient who already has some of these things on board. You want to be thinking about whether caffeine is contributing. For sure. For sure. Okay. I think it's somewhat intuitive that most people know that too much caffeine can cause problems. Yeah. But... The reason I think we've all felt it. <laughs> we have. <laughs> but I think people need to realize, again, 
when we think of coffee, there's so much more to it than caffeine. There are other important constituents to the beverage coffee. Correct. Right. And one such constituent, when we talk, you know, whenever you and I have these conversations about various plants and we talk about plant constituents and, mm -hmm. what, and what they can do, we talk about flavonoids. We, we did this with the Arnica episode. We talked about specific constituents within mm -hmm. that. Just like with all plants, there are constituents within the coffee bean. Yeah. And there are two such plant constituents that are found in the oil of the bean, and they're called diterpenes. Mm -hmm. And there are two specific diterpenes, and they're called cowheel and cafestol. And these are important because they have found that these constituents are actually made from the HMG-CoA reductase pathway hmm. and have been associated with increasing your LDL and total cholesterol. Interesting. Now... That's not to say that drinking coffee increases your cholesterol because there's a lot of other factors. Hmm. And in fact, they found that it wasn't always. And so they had to figure out why is sometimes it increases your cholesterol and sometimes it doesn't. I've got it. I've got go, an idea. Go ahead. Since it's an oil, it's likely coming out in the filter paper yes. if you're brewing it from a... Yes. Totally. Absolutely. So it comes down to how it's prepared. So they did this study and they found that in Scandinavia where they boil their coffee or if you think about like a French press mm -hmm. that if you do studies with this kind of coffee that does not have a filter in fact it does elevate your total cholesterol and your LDL but or like my 120 cup percolator at home <laughs> that's right that's right but most people in in the western world use coffee filters and the coffee filters do exactly what you just said Michael so although it has the potential to in increase your cholesterol, these specific plant constituents in the coffee bean oil. The filters that we use make that less so. Okay, Michael, how did you know that that was the answer? The no, yeah. Well, the minute you said oil, oh. I, I knew that the filter paper removes a lot of the Got oils it. from the Got beans. It. And, you know, I've always felt that some of those oils are actually enhance the stimulatory effects of coffee, which oh. is one of the reasons why I use a percolator at home. So <laughs> my LDL must be through the roof. That's right. You better be careful. But on the flip side of things, there's another group of compounds, uh, chlorogenic acids. And for people who drink coffee, um, it's actually our richest dietary source of these chlorogenic acids or caffeic acid. And uh, pretty heavy dose. We've got, you know, between 700 and 350 milligrams per cup of coffee. And this is a a benefit because these have some antioxidant capacity, at least when studied in vivo, um, they're, I'm sorry, in vitro, they tend to have pretty strong antioxidant capacities. Hmm. However, this is one of those things like we talk about with phenols and flavonoids. Once you drink it, it goes to your microbiome. Right. The microbiome metabolizes it very quickly right. and it turns into these uh, other metabolites, each of which have seemingly some degree of antioxidant capacity, although how much in total as compared to the, the pure chlorogenic acids, it's mm -hmm. a little unclear. But overall, we're talking, This is these are the things that we think about when it comes to coffee and antioxidant capacity. Yeah. And we've already talked about all the different stuff so far in coffee. We talked about caffeine. We talked about the diterpenes, talked about chlorogenic acids. But another constituent that's part of the beverage coffee are many micronutrients, sure. right? Like yeah. you wouldn't think about this, that a cup of coffee contains magnesium and potassium and niacin and vitamin E and, and all of these things, in addition to what you were just describing, these antioxidant properties may actually be what contributes to the, the health benefits of coffee. And this takes me to something that's kind of interesting uh, with respect to adding cream to your coffee. Which you do. 
Yes, I do. Every I do. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, for the longest time, I've always kind of heard this rumor that gets bantered around, you know, in the alternative communities and, you know, okay. the health, health industry and stuff like that, that adding cream to your coffee actually can bind these minerals and make them less really? absorbable. Um, and so that's where the frowning upon it mainly comes true? in. I don't. I don't think that's true. I can't find any evidence in the research to, to support that. And, huh. and when you think about it, cream itself has a lot of nutrients in it. Right, right. It has a lot of minerals. It has a lot of vitamins in it. So I don't, I don't understand this, this perspective. And maybe you can send your feedback to feedback podcast at gdx.net mm-hmm. if you have some sort of support around this claim. But um, from what I can see, uh, unless you have concerns around dairy or things like that, cream, mm-hmm. probably not the biggest thing to be concerned about. But you, here, here is a concern mm. because most people don't just use cream. They use flavored creams that have a lot of sugar in them. And well, so and okay. you put, people put sugar in their coffee. So sometimes when you're adding things to coffee, you're increasing calories, you're increasing sugar. Depends on what you're adding, That's right? That's very true. So like true. we tend to lump, I tend to lump cream and sugar together as being, you know, best drink it black idea. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but the sugar certainly, I mean, sugar in, in anything right. is not so the thing you can true. be. So if true. you're adding it to your coffee, when you think about the stimulant effect of coffee, which is going to increase, increase your metabolic rate, help you to burn fat quicker. Well, that doesn't really work if you're putting sugar in there because that inhibits lipolysis. So mm-hmm. yep. um, you're working against yourself from that perspective. Okay, well, on the show, as you know, Michael, we try to be as intellectual as possible, <laughs> as literature-based as really? possible. And we know that coffee's been around for centuries. Yeah. And, you know, it's not like there's a, a lack of outcome studies here as it relates to coffee. So mm-hmm. what does the literature say? We've talked about all these constituents. What is the literature telling us? You know, it's so interesting because before we even get into that, you know, like with so many things, um, we suffer from having problems with controls. Uh, so many of these studies that have been done, you know, we can't get a, a lot of coherence between whether we're talking about people who have coffee with cream, people who have coffee with sugar, people who have decaffeinated coffee, people who right. had caffeinated for years and then switched to decaf. Like, right. there's so many factors to consider, and caffeine is is a big one. And so, the, the caffeinated versus decaf uh, is is part of just the, the problems, but. I said before issues around potential type two diabetes, and that okay. was in you know one one kind of thing we that were it reading decreases it. that it could exacerbate problems. Oh, but oh, oh, oh. that's not really the full story. The full story is is kind of weird. Um, when you look at epidemiological studies around type two diabetes, what you see is that in the short term, people who have you know fairly high intake of coffee, they tend to have regular fasting glucose. There's no change to their fasting glucose, okay. but they're actual insulin goes up. So it looks like they start to develop some uh, insulin resistance. All right. Um, And so there's concerns there. But then when you scan out farther and take a wider lens, after long-term adaptation to coffee use, you have prevention of type 2 diabetes. So it's like your insulin goes up, but then you don't get diabetes. Like, how's that work? Um, And what they found is like there's essentially seemingly... Uh, this this it, the body basically adapts, and that short term effect of increasing your insulin with respect to glucose kind of goes away. Well, and it does, yeah, it kind of makes sense because you're increasing your basal metabolic rate. Mm-hmm. But then again, I'm sure that would be even more dramatic if you're not putting sugar in your coffee. Fair, but you know, I always think, and something we talk about all the time is that when we're talking about literature as it relates to specific diseases, that 
it's epidemiologic. So we have to keep that in the back of our minds, mm -hmm. right? So it's not necessarily definitively causal. Sure. And one such area of studying coffee as it relates to di disease is in Parkinson's disease. And yeah, yeah, I've heard this. I've right? heard this. And so they say that, okay, the studies suggest that caffeine consumption can decrease the risk of Parkinson's disease, but there are a lot of factors here. Okay. But one, one of the mechanisms that they think might be happening is, you know, we know that caffeine in the coffee is a central nervous system stimulant, mm -hmm. right? And we know that Parkinson's disease is characterized by the degeneration of the dopaminergic neurons in your substantia nigra. That's a, an area of your brain that makes dopamine, right? right? And so they're suggesting that caffeine can decrease this risk by protecting dopaminergic neurotoxicity. And it does that by something you said earlier in the sense that caffeine um, can work as an antagonist in the A1 and A2 adenosine receptors, uh -huh. which interestingly also work in the substantia nigra. Uh -huh. So again, they're saying, is there a correlation? Yes. Do people who drink uh, coffee chronically have less Parkinson's disease? But there's so many other confounding variables that there really is no literature to, to suggest this as a therapy to prevent it. Well, that's cool. I mean, was the association significant? Well, it depends. It's mixed. And again, there's a lot of confounding variables. But I mean, for example, there's this one study that took 8,000 Japanese American men and found that those who did not drink coffee were three to five times more likely to develop Parkinson's disease over the next 20 to 30 years than mm. those who drank at least 28 ounces daily. Now, there are other studies that are not as significant. Sure. But it varies. It's the sugar studies, I'm sure. I'm really <laughs> I'm laying into sugar right now. Listen, I'm not disputing that. So there's a lot of other things out there for sure um, when we talked about the effect on mood disorder. But this is, right. is kind of interesting. So suicide risk. Oh. They found um, that there's sort of a bell-shaped curve here okay. where overall people who did consume some amount of coffee, and they're defining that as between zero to seven cups per day, uh -huh. uh, had a reduction in suicide risk. There is an inverse association. However, hmm. those with higher consumption had an increased risk of suicide. And so it goes to show that, wow. you know, at a certain level, you're really running the risk of, you know, some of those mood disorders. And, and so moderation here um, certainly would be something to consider, especially if there's already mood disorder on board. And there's, there's a bunch of other stuff here. I mean, we saw some kind of reductions in uh, liver injury mm -hmm. and cirrhosis. Um, we see, you know, kind of a mixed thing with respect to uh, heart disease. Okay. And a lot of that, you know, we wonder about the, the hypertensive effects of caffeine um, and whether that is playing a role in some of these cardiovascular disease ailments. Uh, but again, there's there, it's kind of all over the board there. Right, right. And you know what's interesting? Something that always comes up, something that I think about is children. A lot of children yeah. started, have started to drink coffee. Your parents giving their children coffee. And so the question always becomes, if these are children who are starting to drink coffee at a very young age, what effect will that have? And to be completely honest, there's not a lot of literature on mm -hmm. caffeine consumption in child, like small children, caffeine in right. coffee, the coffee consumption specifically. But, and but sugar, but colas, right. Soda. Right. And like to your point, it's less caffeine, but it's also just, 
anecdotally with behavioral disorders and anxiety and, right. and some of those things. But long-term studies, they're really not there. Um, it's really just worried more about sleep difficulties and anxiety and restlessness. Well, and certainly contributing to some of the pediatric, you know, obesity epidemic that's occurring mm-hmm. as well. Man, we just got we got to stop giving so much sugar to kids. Yeah, it's for amazing. Sure. For sure, it's amazing how much like the even just common places. We'll just be walking around and uh-huh. like you know cashiers at retail stores are just be like here's some sugar, um, you know, just like here's, here's a lollipop. A candy, yeah. yeah, and it's like stop, Aww. stop doing it. <laughs> Wow. Travis. This time already, huh? He's back from his coffee break. <laughs> Are you bobbing your head? Mm. Mm. <laughs> it's a good one. It's a good one. The twinkly bells. Rocking out. <laughs> I was feeling you were it today. Out to that feeling one. it today. I like that. Well, that is my favorite one. That's a good one, Michael. But I'm going to ask you the question of the day. Okay. You ready? I'm always ready. This is not a question that came into podcast at gdx.net, which is our email address. This is actually a question that comes into the medical affairs department a lot. Okay. We get this a lot. I should be able to answer <laughs> yes, it then, we probably. Should. And it usually revolves around our adrenal cortex stress profile. Okay. Looking at the diurnal rhythm of cortisol. Okay. And we know that. Caffeine in coffee is a stimulant. So what yeah. we get from patients is, should I avoid coffee before doing the ASP, and what will it do to my cortisol levels? Yeah. Um, so there's kind of two questions there. I'll tackle the second one first, which okay. is, what does coffee do to cortisol? So studies have shown that um, what coffee coffee intake slows the restitution of diurnal cortisol. And what that means is that, you know, it should be highest in the morning, lowest in the evening, and it kind of comes down exponentially throughout the day. But with coffee intake, it slows the rate at which cortisol decreases. Mm -hmm. So over time, um, or even in the short term, you're going to have higher cortisol levels, which is not a great thing. But with long-term use, similar to some of the other studies that we were talking about, um, it actually, there's an adaptation that occurs, and then you no longer see that elevation of cortisol levels. Okay, so we're halfway through this answer, uh, and now we're approaching the restitution of the answer to this question (laughs) of the day. So what we recommend is that do what you normally do because there's so many different things. If if you're drinking coffee every day, you plan on continuing to drink coffee every day, you want to know what your your daily cortisol looks like. So that's going to include the, the actual coffee consumption. However, you're not supposed to do it right before that right. first sample. I was going to say that. Um, Don't do that. But throughout the day, if that's what you normally do, then do it because you want to see it reflected in the lab result. Um, and then the, the other thing is that if you were to like just dramatically stop a habit that you're regularly doing, is that really reflecting your normal? No, or you're going to go into withdrawal. Yeah, and, then you're and you're going to get all stressed card- out yeah. and you're going right. to be, you know, so that could have... Uh, its own consequences. So, you know, like a lot of different things, we we tend to say it's up to the clinician and what they want to do, what they're trying to look for. But on average, if this is part of your life, then uh, continue to have it part of your life. Do you, boo? So I had to say that I got some blowback from my coffee blog because at the end, <laughs> I didn't give a final verdict. I well, didn't like, it's good or it's bad. And I think that's so often what people, yes. they don't want it to That's right. That's the, right. And it's like, okay, that's a lot of facts. You just vomited at me. Now what do I do? Is this good? Is it bad? Should I drink coffee? Should I not drink coffee? What's the verdict, Michael Chapman? My verdict, I'm going to lay it out. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna correct my past wrongs. <laughs> uh, coffee is good in moderation and without sugar. Nice, well said. Next time on the Lab Report, we're gonna talk about tick-borne illnesses: Lyme disease, babesiosis, ehrlichiosis, Rocky Mountain spotted fever, and God, I hate ticks. <laughs> hate them as much as ants. Eh. You've been listening to the Lab Report. If you like what you hear. Please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave us a review. To learn more about Genova Diagnostics, visit our website at gdx.net. There you'll find information on specific testing, educational resources, and how to connect with our show. Call us at 1-800-522-4762 or email us at podcast at gdx.net. Did you hear that clap of thunder and lightning while we were recording? I hope it didn't get picked up I, on the recording. Yeah, I'm not sure whether it did. I, I definitely. It's been storming quite it's a been, bit, but it's been so humid. Yeah, so yeah. Thunder and lightning well, let's check just, it out. Let's open the window. Okay. Jeez. <laughs> it's really bad out there. Close the window, Travis. <laughs>